Hello, happy December. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago, and I love talking to other healing professionals about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. Welcome. If this is your first time joining us, hello. I hope you enjoyed today because it's a very special episode, actually. And if you've been listening for a while, thanks so much for coming back. Before I get into the deets of today's episode, I do need to offer a retraction. I think this is the first time I've actually retracted something, but (laughs) I was lovingly corrected by my cousin Carrie. So In episode 173 with Courtney Wells, I had said something about I thought I was the first person in our family to move outside of Ohio. And my cousin was like, "Mm -mm, nope, I moved to North Carolina uh, before you had moved out of state. So I'm very sorry, Carrie. You win. You were the first in the family to leave. (laughs) So today's episode is very special, not only because we are working to support an organization that does really amazing work in Chicago, but also this was a live episode. So if you follow us on social media, you may have seen us go live when we were recording this. And now this is the version of the podcast that we are sending out to you. But this is Kamisha Jones. She is our amazing guest today. And I want to give a shout out to her, but also tell you very specifically about the fundraiser that she's doing. So the fall fundraiser is called Whole Women, Whole Communities. And this year, Sista Afia Community Care offered 650 free therapy sessions, free therapy, and over 35 community workshops and classes that have collectively served over 200 women. The goal this year is to raise $35,000 so they can continue to offer free mental wellness care to Black women in Chicago. They need your support to sustain the progress they've made so far, and as they continue to remove barriers to accessing mental wellness care in communities. Will you please, please, please do me a big fave and contribute to their year-end annual campaign? You can give 50, 100, 250. Truthfully, you can even give $5. Anything that you'd be willing to give them would be amazing towards their goal of $35,000. And it'll really help them deepen the impact in providing free mental wellness care for Black women. Now, we have a special link for Conversations with a Wounded Healer listeners and folks who know about head heart therapy. So to donate to the campaign, you can visit donorbox.org slash S-A-C-C whole women slash fundraiser slash Sarah with an H dash bueno. So I'll say that again. Donorbox.org slash S-A-C-C whole women slash fundraiser slash Sarah dash bueno. So please do contribute to that campaign if you have anything to give. Now, to share Kamisha Jones with you, Kamisha LCSW is a social worker, entrepreneur, and community mental wellness advocate who serves at the intersection of culture, community, and social justice. Kamisha strongly believes in eliminating barriers in the mental health field that people of diverse cultural backgrounds experience by creating affordable and accessible care that centers the well-being of the whole person. So I hope you really enjoyed this live episode. It was so fun for us. I think we may try to do something again in the future. Who knows? At any rate, Kamisha's amazing. Please enjoy this episode with Kamisha Jones. OMG. Hello, Facebook. (laughs) I've never done a live before, so I just feel like an idiot right now. I don't know about you. (laughs) This is Kamisha Jones, everyone. 
She's the founder. <laughs> and what do you, are you president, CEO? What's your uh, executive director? Okay. So she is the founder and executive director of Sista Afia. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Amazing. And yeah, so we're just going to do a live podcast today. Yes. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen? The madness. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having us in your space. This was so lovely. Yeah. Welcome to the South Side. Welcome yeah. to South Shore. It's great to have people in the space to like see what we do and like what we embody. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. Oh, awesome. Well, before we dig into Sister Afia itself, how about telling folks just more about who you are? Yeah, sure. So again, my name is Kamisha. I am a social worker and community mental wellness advocate and also a mental illness survivor. So I love doing this work because I know how it feels to be on the other side of the of the chair. But also I'm just really energized in this moment with the work around mental health and particularly mental health in the Black community and with Black women in Chicago. So I've been doing this specific work for five years, but my journey in social work, in social justice, in mental health is about 10 years old. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really fortunate to still be here, you know, because this work, as you know, as social workers, like you can get pretty burnt out. And so I'm thankful that I'm so energized to do this work. And I, Sister Afi is like my baby. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like excited, like as a business owner to also have something that people gravitate towards and something that's like making an impact. So Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Well, what made you want to become a social worker? So interesting story, story time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) When I was an undergrad at Spelman College, I majored in sociology. And so Mm. some of my professors, they were like, oh, well, you know, you are really great with research. You know, you're a good writer. I could see you being in academia. Mm. And I was like, I want to do something more action oriented. Mm -hmm. Like, could I be a professor? Yeah, maybe. Right. But like I want to work with people in the community. I want to work with folks on the ground and really be a part of the solution in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so I started to look. I was like, okay, what can I do? I got the sociology degree. What can I do that's action oriented? That's about social change. That's about really serving the community. And that's how I found social work. And so when I found social work, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like there's so many things that I can do within, you know, this degree or this field. And that's where it started. Yep. That's where it started. That's awesome. And I'm curious because so you're from Baltimore, right? I am from Waldorf, Maryland. Wow. Okay. Which is about an hour south of Baltimore. Okay. So people from Baltimore would be like, don't say you're from Baltimore. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Okay. Right. That. Just mm-hmm. like if you're from like, you know, I don't know, Winnetka, you're not from Chicago. Like, right. don't say that. Yes. Okay. So Shauna Marie Brown, have you heard of her? Yes. Okay. Yes. Shauna Marie Brown is my favorite. She's a social worker out of Baltimore decolonizing therapy for black folks. We took that course last year. We're having more folks take it this year. And she talks about like social justice being part of the master's tools. Like we can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. Mm -hmm. So she's like decolonization, but that's also not a verb. There's so many like different things around it because there's a fucked up history with social work, right? Absolutely. So I'm curious, like how you reconcile for yourself, like It sounds like you use the term social justice, even though it could be decolonization, it could be something else. But how do you reconcile, you know, being in this work, knowing that there is some problematic history? Yeah, yeah. What's interesting about that is 
I really believe that within most fields, especially within the U.S., there's doctors and there's doctors who have done horrible things, right, Mm -hmm. to people of color. You know, we have so many industries where in fields where that happens. So for me, I recognize the parts of social work that I am not too fond of. Like, I don't like child welfare. I don't like the foster care system. I don't like child protective services. Those are things that I just like, I cringe. Like, I don't want to go near that work. I respect people who are in it. But for me, ethically, it doesn't line up (laughs) for me. So I know the things that I don't, you know, like, right? But then I also recognize this amazing history of Black women social workers. Like, a lot of people don't know that social work was one of the first quote unquote, professional fields that Black women could actually break Hmm. into, like education. And so there are so many Black women social workers that I look up to. And so when I think about that history, that makes me excited to do the work. I think with decolonizing therapy and, you know, there's so many terms, social justice, social equity, all those different things, but it's all about what you do, right? Because you can have some therapists who like, I decolonize therapy and they're not living that, right? So for me, if these values that I have within the field, they are what I try to espouse in the work that I do. And so I feel like that's the work. That's awesome. And it's such a good point. Like, is there a field that hasn't like hurt people of color? I don't know that there's not, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, government systems, healthcare systems, financial systems, like, yeah, everything has hurt people of color. So you're right. Like, well, everything's fucked. So I might as well, <laughs> right? Reconciled that way. Goodness. Well, tell us about Sista Afia, like how that idea came. Tell us about the name, what that means to you, everything. Yeah. So Sista Afia is a part of, I would say, like, the personal is political, mm-hmm. going back into that space. That yeah, we were just in. Yeah. So when I was in recovery for my mental health, I would go to IOP groups. I would go to support groups. I would try to find a therapist. And none of them had the same similar cultural background mm-hmm. as myself. And I recognized that also my friends and my peers were also experiencing the same thing. You know, a lot of people in their mid-20s are experiencing the height of their mental health crises, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're seeing that even more now than I even think a couple years ago. Yeah. And I started to think, like, what would it look like if there was a community support space for Black women who have mental health conditions? So I was like, okay, I'm going to do something about it. So I had the idea in 2015 and I was like, okay, I need to finish up my graduate school work at University of Chicago. Let me get that out the way. Mm-hmm. And so I had been really, Sisafia has been in my brain since 2015. I love that. But I actually made a move on it in 2017. So in 2017, I launched Sisafia. When I originally launched it, it was just going to be about community events, community groups mm-hmm. centered around the experiences of Black women and making mental health care accessible and affordable. But then as time went on, it evolved into individual therapy. And so now that's a huge part of our business. And then social events and then conferences. And so retreats, like it really morphed into all these different things. And really what Sisafia does is we try to meet people at a variety of different places with their mental wellness journey. So everybody's entry point is not therapy. 
sometimes it, someone's entry point is a support group yeah. or a brunch or a conversation at a coffee shop. Like mm-hmm. we're trying to meet Black women in a variety of different ways with what they need. And so that they have that community of support, but also are able to readily access these services. So that's kind of how Sister Afia started and then what it is now. And the name Sister Afia really encompasses the vision for the enterprise. So Sister is a word that we use within the Black community for endearment, for connection. It's a very loving word that we use amongst each other. And Afia is a Swahili word that means to be healthy, free mm. of psychological and physical illness. Mm. So together, the name Sisa Afia is for Black women to be connected to one another and to experience freedom from psychological and physical illness. So that's, that's the name. And quick, like little side note, yeah. originally... I was like, when I was thinking of the name, I was like, first it was going to be Sister's Heart. And I was like, whoa, that sounds really bad. Like, I was thinking, Sister's Heart. Sister's Heart. I was like, that doesn't sound good. I was like, that doesn't sound good. And so I was like, I need to find something that has a little flavor, a little edge. <laughs> and then I, I came across the Swahili word off you. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. So yeah. That's awesome. And the way you talk about community care, I'm just watching you get really excited. And I love that people can see. Usually I'm recording this in my closet and they can't see what you're doing, but Mm -hmm. like you're so energized by this. And so, I mean, just the passion itself is just so beautiful to watch. But what's I think so striking that that many listeners and, and people who are viewing this might not recognize is a lot of that community wellness like that has been whitewashed, right? Taken out. Mm-hmm. And I hear you really putting that cultural piece back in because it, it for the Black community, it is about community. It's not an individualized, you know, system. And so that's just so wonderful mm-hmm. that you're bringing it where people are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we, even in addition to our histories of African-Americans, our very collectivist community centered culture because if we all we were all we had, right? <laughs> you know, we all we got. But even with other communities, all of us can com- benefit from community exactly. mental wellness care. Like the fact that you have to go to therapy on your own, you have to process mm-hmm. everything on your own. Mm-hmm. Figure things out, you know, even self-care has also been really sanitized, you know, like you say more. Yeah, you have to do all these things for yourself and it takes away the community that you need that helps to sustain you and to say, when I don't have the capacity, my friend may have the capacity to support me and that accountability and that care is absolutely necessary. Right. Yeah. Have you ever heard the name Michelle Winston? Mm-mm. Okay, because she went to University of Chicago. I think she was several years behind you. So she was actually, when I worked at a community mental health place called Alternatives, we worked with youth and family. She was my first intern. I love her so much. And we became friends. And she is just, she's a Black woman. And she created this company called To Indie With Love. She moved back to Indianapolis and created this space where it's all about play and community. And, and mm-hmm. she's like created these groups where people pay what they can. And it's just this like, I'm hearing a very similar vibe with the, like, there's so much love that I'm hearing that you really infuse into the work that you do. And that's also something that's been whitewashed out of a lot of spaces, right? Like, I mean, I, a therapist that I had had before, she was like, we've taken the love out of therapy. Mm. And why, why would we do that? That's actually part of the magic, right? Mm -hmm. Any (laughs) thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even in working with my team, I'm like, we don't got to be tight about everything, right? Right. (laughs) Like, 
we are black women and some of my staff identify as women of color and we are serving our community, right? So I've seen my clients on the bus. I yeah. see them in the store yeah. and I don't act like, oh my God, I can't say anything. <laughs> you have to tell Raelle that because that's yeah. her. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I can't say anything. I can't do anything. Yeah. But um, encourage them, have conversations, right. right? Like, it's okay. You know, I had a client who had a recent tragedy mm. and I didn't realize it, you know, when she was talking about it in session in the way that she was. And I texted her and I was like, I'm so sorry. My condolences, you know, mm-hmm. to like you and your family. And that's a part of the love, right? Instead yeah. of being like, oh, that's her life. Keep it separate, Right. right? So I think that as therapists, we do need to bring like more love and intention into what we do and to not get so professionalized or Mm -hmm. almost like manualized that we don't provide that, you know, to the people who we're serving. And what gave you the internal permission to show up that way? Because that's not what we were taught in school, that you you self-disclose only, you know, if there's a very specific reason, you know, all these things, the way that we're supposed to hold ourselves. What gave you the permission to be like, nah, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do it with love. To be honest, working in communities where that was absolutely necessary. So I worked on the West side of Chicago for about three years and working with middle school age at quote unquote at risk (laughs) girls. And I used to have to go into their homes. I used to have to speak to their moms and their family. I used to have to break up fights. That's something they don't tell you about. (laughs) Yeah, They do not teach you that. They do not (laughs) teach you that. And Doing it the way that we're trained, it's not going to work. It, would, it right. wouldn't have worked. So it right. forced me to be like, okay, yes, this is what I'm talking about in school, about boundaries and all these other things. But for me to do this work effectively with this community, I have to change the way that I'm doing things. And so even when I am meet with my clients, they're like, hey, Miss Kamisha, how are you doing? You ask how I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm like, and I tell them, I was like, yeah, I've had, you know, I've had an interesting week or I'm looking forward yep. to this and it doesn't feel like anything. It doesn't right. feel like I can't self-disclose. Like, right. It feels, you know, natural. And our community want to get to know us. Like, right. We don't want to just be that person who we're talking to and, you know, don't necessarily like have a connection. Right. With. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about boundaries, this is how I kind of reconcile it because, and I, I teach in university, so I'm I'm with, you know, MSW students getting ready to get out in the world. And so we talk about these things a lot. And I understand conceptually that we have to set boundaries in a certain way. If you do your work, if you do your inner work and you have, you know, you've worked on your relationship with power, you've worked on your codependency, you've worked on all of these things, then you have an awareness where you can play with boundaries a little bit differently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so it's, I mean, it all goes back to the inner work, but they're also not talking about that in school, are they? No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) You got some words about that? Yeah. I mean, I think in school, what we were told at U of C and I have my love relationship with U of C and my critical relationship with U of C, they were like, every therapist should have a therapist. That was one of the first things that they told us. Okay cool, I'll have a therapist, but what is the inner work that I need to do to bring myself to this work and to 
do what I'm ethically supposed to do, but also what our profession is supposed to do. Right. So in school, it's just like, oh, you get this thing or almost like self-care. Oh, you focus on self-care, but what are the inner things that you need to work through? And how can you authentically still do this work, but be yourself? Right. Yeah. I mean, do you mind sharing some of the inner work that you've had to do? Because you mentioned that you went through an IOP program, you were, you know, in recovery with your mental health. What sorts of things did you walk through? For me, it got to a point like before I was in recovery and it got really, really bad. Mm. And I had to make the decision for myself, is this what you want your life to look like Mm. moving forward? Like what? Were you depressed or what was the... So depression. So I have bipolar disorder. Got it. So it was, do you want your life to look like this? Yeah. Do you want this to be your story? Do you want this to be the end of your story? And when I got to that point, that's when I was like, I'm doing all the things that I need to do for myself. And I've been in therapy for, I would say, consistently like the past six years. Mm -hmm. And I'm in a place where like I feel... I feel like normal Kamisha. Yeah. I don't feel like it's this thing that's hovering over me, that's taking over my life. I go to therapy. I go to my internal medicine doctor. I go to my psychiatrist. I take my meds. Mm-hmm. I try to keep my stress low. I do all the things. And I, I don't feel like it's something that has control over me. And that's part of why I call myself a mental illness survivor. Because yeah. when people like, especially with my mental health condition is very highly stigmatized and people don't think that someone like me in the way that I function is possible. They think Mm. that that's not possible, but there are people all over the place, you know, who have, you know, what would be considered more severe mental health conditions that are, that are fine, right? (laughs) Still moving and shaking. Our work look different. Everybody's work is different. So this is my particular work, but somebody else, it might be childhood trauma, yeah. That might be their work, right? Or I think we've all got childhood trauma. <laughs> yes, yes. Or family, family yeah. mm-hmm. dynamics. That right. might be their work. Right. But my work was just different. And I put a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of investment, but it's worth it. Like I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Right. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like owning my business almost killed me. Like I was, I was suicidal. I went through treatment last summer. Actually, I went to a trauma treatment program because it was just taking me down. Right. And if I wasn't committed to that inner work, I would be dead. (laughs) Like truthfully, I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever struggled with suicidal ideation, but just because we're a therapist, that doesn't mean we can bypass these things, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is why we became therapists most likely is because we didn't bypass them and we know how important it is to have those people who are able to help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And sometimes people do see us as people who have it all together. And I'm like, ooh, if you all knew (laughs) how many of us are, Mm -hmm. you know, either we're dealing with some of the same things. We're all dealing with some of the same things. It doesn't mean that we can't be effective in this work because we may be dealing with trauma or suicidal ideation or any of those things. But it's the commitment, like you're saying, to doing the work and healing. Yeah. And sometimes I think about because two people from the same family can have very different levels of resiliency and different commitment to the work. And I don't know what the answer is for like why some people actually get the help and why others don't. Yeah, that's something that I think about quite often. Yeah. When we have people fill out like our client registration form, 
we ask them, how long have you been dealing with your mental health condition? Most of them say over five years. Mm-hmm. And the average is, I think, five to 10 without any intervention. Right. And there's a resiliency in that, like, wow, you survived all these things and you've made it this far. But then there's the other side of how different your life could maybe look like if you sought the help. Right. And if you did it sooner. Like for me, I know that when I started to feel the really deep depressive symptoms, when I was having changes with my sleep, with my stress, Mm -hmm. if I would have got help maybe a year to two years sooner than when I had my crises, my life would have looked different, Mm -hmm. you know, in some way or another, it would have looked different. I think that some people are resilient, right? And they're Some of us are forced to be resilient because of, you know, the lack of infrastructure or resources or accessibility. But then there are a group of us who can benefit even with being resilient and like stepping out and getting care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something else that I've talked about in especially like social justice, liberation, decolonization circles is this idea that post-traumatic growth. And I literally think everybody's gone through trauma, right? It's all Mm -hmm. on a spectrum, you know? So whether it's, you know, recovering from mental illness itself is trauma. So post-traumatic growth means that post is, it's after, but people of color are traumatized on a daily basis, right? So one of the things that a friend of mine, Cassie Walker has talked about, like post-traumatic growth as a privilege, for people whose trauma ends. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that when there are plenty of people who, whether it's being a person of color, gay or trans or not having enough financial means, like the trauma doesn't end for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know Cassie, me and Cassie are friends. Oh, cool. <laughs> See, we, the, the world is I so know, small. I know, it's so small. That's right, don't piss people off because right, it's yes. very small. Yes. <laughs> so I agree that for some of us, it's continuous. I'm also a, a very hopeful person. Mm. Even though trauma is happening doesn't mean that I can't have a full life. Mm-hmm. And that's like a different perspective. Yeah, I think about my grandparents. My grandparents, my grandmother grew up in D.C. when it was segregated. And then I think about my grandfather. He grew up in Southern Illinois and he was the only Black person in his high school. Wow. And I think about how full their lives were during a very difficult time Mm -hmm. in American history, during segregation, during Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. during all these different things. And they still had beautiful children. They were involved in their communities. They mentored people. They were teachers. You know, they had a full life despite of. Yeah. And so even though I recognize that, yes, As a Black person, there's a lot of trauma going on all the same time. But that doesn't mean that the other thing can't happen. And I do think sometimes the conversation is just because you have this constant trauma, the other thing can't happen at the same time co-currently. But I believe it can. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. And if you don't want to go here, that's totally fine. But we often get very spiritual and woo-woo on here. What are your spiritual beliefs? Yeah, sure. I'm a Christian. Okay. So I grew up in... The Black church, church was a very important part of Mm -hmm. not just like my moral competence, but my development as Mm -hmm. a person. So like I was on the usher board, I sang in the choir, I did dance ministry. And that was my first 
entry into the beautiful community that Black people create, mm-hmm. right? And just serving, like yeah. having a heart to serve other people, you know, that also came from like my upbringing in the church. And I know Christianity, there's a lot of different opinions about Christianity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Christianity can be looked at as like this evil, oppressive thing mm-hmm. to some people, right? Well, a lot of people yeah. use it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But my personal relationship with God saved me when Mm -hmm. I was in the deepest depths of, you know, mental health crises. The only thing that I believe really pulled me out in addition to community support was my faith in God. Like that was what pulled me out. And so I know faith means different things for different people, but my spiritual release, my relationship with God is one of the driving forces in my life, yeah. you know? And I asked because that hopefulness that you, I don't know, there was just like a light in you that I was like, mm, there's some higher power stuff going on <laughs> here that I could kind of see. And in, I teach an addictions course. And and one of the things that we talk about, of course, is 12 step. And the students are always like, oh, 12 step, it's religious. I'm like, it's not religious. It's spiritual. That's two different things. And the research says that people who get into recovery, if they have some sort of spiritual belief or religious belief, they do better in recovery. And I'm, I don't know what the statistics are on that for mental health, but I would guess that it's exactly the same. Yeah, I definitely think it's an added layer of grounding and an added layer of support. Yeah. And it provides hope as well. Yesterday, I went to a nonprofit organization and spoke to some women in Inglewood. Mm -hmm. And these were women who were taking care of their grandchildren. So these were like, I would say, maybe middle aged to elderly Black women. And they were going through some stuff. Mm -hmm. But they said, you know what? I know God has a plan for me. Mm -hmm. I know that this is going to work out. Like this is temporary. I pray every day despite of. And even though they were going through all those things, that spiritual anchor like provided them with that extra support. And that's what I think of. It's like an added bonus. (laughs) It's like an added bonus. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean- we could get into this, but this would be a whole different podcast. Just thinking about, you know, how do how do we make if you're somebody who believes in God, how do we make sense of all the bad things that happen? But I'm with you that I think there is, I don't know, when you say like there's a reason for what happens, I think people can get really like, don't tell me there's a reason when I'm in the middle of my trauma. So I think there's times not to say there's mm-hmm. a reason for everything, but I don't know. I like the idea that there is something bigger gives a shit about me and not only gives a shit, but really truly has unconditional love and cares. And I think for me, this is personally for me, and I'd be curious what you say. I know that some of the obstacles that have been put in my path are specifically to get me ready for greatness later. Like I have had so much like business bullshit happen over the last several years and bad partnerships. It got me ready to be an integrated leader, somebody who knows what it means to not have power and to be responsible then with power. So I don't know. That's what I believe. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you tough. I tell you that. (laughs) Having the obstacles makes you tough. It brings out the best in you Mm -hmm. in some regards. And that's not for everybody. But Me making it through my challenges with my mental health to the point that I would say like a a growing business owner, you know, growing stable business owner for five years, like Mm -hmm. 
that gave me the tenacity to be like, okay, this happened. Okay, I done been through something worse. Yeah. Okay, I can, yeah. <laughs> I can manage this. So yeah, it definitely like the trials, the obstacles and the spiritual grounding, at least for me, mm-hmm. helps me to believe that I can overcome these different things that may come my way. Yeah, yeah. So are you a healer? Am I a healer? I think so. <laughs> I love I that. I, I don't know why that's my preferred answer to the question. Like no <laughs> offense for people who say no, but I love that. Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, when we were talking a little bit earlier and we were talking about groups versus individual therapy. And I think one of the gifts of me as a healer is bringing people together to heal. I think that's my jam. Yeah. Like I can do individual therapy and I do enjoy it, enjoy aspects of it. But I think what my natural healing is, is to bring people together to heal collectively. So I think that that's the way in which like I heal, I think that's like the prominent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, community and connection really is a theme of our conversation today, right? Like every single thing we've talked about, that's the thread I'm I'm really weaving through this, which is so cool. In a time, especially where, I mean, man, we have needed each other. And a lot of people have rejected the fact that we need each other by not getting vaccinated and blah, 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 but whatever. Sorry, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? Wounded healer. When I hear wounded healer, I think about humanity. Like it brings a humanity. Because when we think about healers, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but people will put you on this pedestal and be like, oh, you are this healer, this expert, this guru, this person. But I think when you say wounded, it brings you back to a place where it's like, oh, and they experience things too. Right. When I hear wounded healer, that's what I think about. It's, I don't want to say the, humbling is not the word that I want to use, but something like Mm -hmm. in that same Mm -hmm. space, as far as like, it really provides like that humanity to being a healer and that you don't have all the answers or have it all together, but you've also been through your stuff too. Right. Is it humility? Yeah, I think that's the better word, humility. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know. I mean, humility comes from humble, doesn't it? I don't fucking know. They're in the same, same right? family. But but yeah, the I mean, I grew up Christian as well. And my mom would tell you that Jesus was her best friend. Sorry for everyone else who thinks Jesus is. He was clearly my mom's best friend. She had the lock on that. But um, so I have a reaction to the word humble because, you know, humble yourself before God, only, you know, rich man. What is the one like the, through the eye of the needle? I can't remember that scripture. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. You don't? You don't? <laughs> we played Bible trivia every Friday night for I don't know how many years. So there's something about like, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is for them to get into heaven. I don't know why I bring that. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. essentially, like when I hear the word humble, I think of like that more toxic sort of view of like, you have to like prostrate yourself before God. I don't think my God wants me to like beat myself up. I think my God is like, you go girl, you're fantastic. Keep up the good work. Now that was fucked up. Don't do that again, but I still love you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You My God is a little more flexible than the God I grew up with. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's almost like a yin and yang type of thing. Like there's a way to be empowered, but there's also a way to have humility. Like, I feel like it's like a balance more than anything else. I like to have humility instead of be humble. 
Because mm-hmm. be humble is a directive and have humility is like, mm-hmm. it's just a different energy with it, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm into the like energy of words. There's always, I don't know. Anyway, um, let's talk about your fundraiser. Yes. 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 So Sisa Afia, we have two parts. We have Sisa Afia Community Mental Wellness, which was founded in 2017. And then in 2020, we founded Sisa Afia Community Care, which is the nonprofit. And through Sisa Afia Community Care, we provide free mental wellness care to people in Chicago, but we specifically center Black women. And even though we've been in existence like a little over a year, we've done, I think, some really great work. (laughs) Um, And so the a whole women, whole communities campaign focuses on continuing that work. So this past year, you know, we've been in in the pandemic. I can't believe it's about to be two years. She's right. Ooh, that's a. I know. Take we can please. take a pause with that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, right? Like, there's been so much pain and so much loss and so much trauma and tragedy. Yes, absolutely. And mental health providers have been in the thick of it. We have been in the thick of it. We've been supporting people. And throughout this pandemic, Sister Afia Community Care has been providing free therapy sessions. So um, badass. Yes. Yes. Thank shout out to our supporters and our funders. <laughs> but yeah, we've been providing free therapy sessions. And one of the things that we found in our work, one, we didn't realize the lack of availability for free therapy. When we were doing this, we were like, oh, definitely there's other places out there. But in doing this work, I was like, wow, like we're literally one of the few in Chicago on Uh the South side that provides free therapy. So that's a part of what we've done this past year. We've provided 650 free therapy sessions, which is amazing. And shout out to my team, Candice and Tiana for just really doing that work. And then we've also connected with women, just like what we've been talking about, the community aspect. So we've hosted over 25 wellness classes, groups and workshops for women at no cost to them. And so when you support Sisafia Community Care, you're not just supporting us to do this work. You're literally supporting women in Chicago. And one of the things that people don't know is, particularly with the therapy program, a lot of them say, this is my only option. I've gone other places. I've hit all these barriers. This is it for me. Right. And so Sister Afia has we really serve women who have in some regards run out of options, right? And they need healing and they need support. And then we also, with that, women are empowered. They're like, I want therapy. Sometimes right. people keep saying this, Yes, that Black people don't want to engage in therapy. Like, oh, there is more stigma time. I'm like, no, what I see, people are coming to us. You know, people are reaching out about therapy more than they've ever had before in our community. And so for us to serve those people, we need support. So you can go to sisaafia.com slash support dash us and you can give to our whole women, whole communities campaign. And our goal is to raise $35,000 by the end of this year. Any amount that you give, we graciously appreciate. But your donation helps to make whole women and helps to make our community stronger. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we are head heart therapy conversations with the wounded healer. We are in such support of sister Afia and Kamisha and all the work that she's doing. So we're going to make sure to push this out for you. And yeah, we're going to surpass 35. Like we're going to, we're going to blow this out of the yes, water. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just thinking, as you were talking, if you're on Medicaid, you can get free therapy. Sure. But not a lot of places have good free therapy. Very and so, true. right. So for you to be offering and in, in, in a space that looks like this, right. Her space is gorgeous. You see the beautiful pink wall and the art here. Like there are a bunch of different beautifully colored walls. The offices are so warm and inviting and wonderful as opposed to no offense, community mental health, but a lot of them are drab looking. They look yeah. pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. Like they just pulled things out of, you know, the, the salvation army and like, oh, great. This couch looks good from 1975. Um, <laughs> and no offense. I mean, truthfully, we like all of these things need more support, right? The fact that you are one of the few places that provides free therapy is bullshit. Yep. Right. Like there does need to be more access to that. And, you know, I can tell you too, as a small business owner of private practice, we've tried to figure out how we can be more of help, but I can't keep my head above water if I'm just giving away free therapy. So it's like, it's hard. It is hard to do what you've done. And it's, fucking awesome. And I'm just so excited for you. And I'm so excited that we've gotten to connect and get to know each other. And I mean, anything our people can do to help you. I told you, you got my back. I mean, I've got your back with all my people. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do. Because this work is it's a beautiful experience, but it, like you said, it's also challenging. And as of recently, more people are starting to invest in mental health care just mm-hmm. from, you know, a governmental foundation, you yeah. know, background. But before I started Sisafia Community Care, I was hesitant because I was like, where am I going to get funding from? Like, yeah. are people going to fund right. mental health care for Black women? Right. Like, is right. that going to happen? And we've been fortunate to get support, really strong support over the last year, but we need more, right? Yeah. Because like I said, there aren't many organizations doing this work. Yeah. So yeah, support Sisafia. Go to mm-hmm. our website, donate. And I appreciate you all for being partners in supporting us, it it really means a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Was there anything that we didn't talk about that you really want to make sure that our listeners and our viewers, well, our viewers are gone, but our (laughs) listeners get to hear? (laughs) Things are changing for the better Mm. in mental health care. Like, I think this is a very special time in our field as like healers and just working in mental health. I think that we're about to be on the horizon of something transformative Mm. for our society. I just see it and I feel it. And I want people to be excited about it. Like, even though we're in a really difficult time right now, like I see so many like possibilities of how far we can go so that people can get the healing that they need. When's your birthday? October 1st. So you're a Libra. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) Okay. All right. There's the optimism, the the Venus love, all of that. Amazing. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate this. And and this was like a guinea pig experiment of doing this live. And this was so fun. Yeah. (laughs) And we have Edwin behind the scenes, who always is part of the production team for the podcast, but he's actually here with us today making this magic. So thank you so much, Edwin. Thank you, Edwin. Thank you to Andrea (laughs) and the Creative Imposter Studios. And I'll probably do a regular outro later, but yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. 
Thanks so much to Kamisha for being an amazing guest today. I'm really curious how y'all feel about the live podcast recording. So make sure to send me some feedback. You can reach out. Instagram is my favorite place to get info from other folks. So at Head Heart Therapy at Instagram, please shoot me a message and let me know what you thought of the live episode. And thanks as always to Creative Imposter Studios for editing. A special shout out to Edwin Ruiz, who facilitated everything that had to do with the live event. Thanks to Andrea Clunder and everyone else at the Creative Imposter Studios, Ben Mueller for our theme music and Liam O'Donnell for our album art. Thanks again. Till next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.